ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Joe Bird, welcome to ATV Talk. Thanks, thanks for coming and seeing us again. Absolutely, man. It's always a good time. I really appreciate it, sir. Hey, um, you're in a suit, and what's going on? <laughs> well, I just had a uh, my bird aviation just had a, a plane transaction. So a lot of times we people buy these high end planes. I like to uh, dress nice when I go see them. You can't show up in a racing shirt and expect somebody to spend three or four thousand dollars with you and be happy about it so we usually dress nice when we uh, sell a plane and or buy a plane and just uh it's just proper etiquette in the aviation world really so you can't come in shirts and a t-shirt huh well some people actually come buy them in a shirt and t-shirt and i'll take the money but when they show up and you got a greasy monkey greasy outfit on and you have holes in your pants and you know flip-flops on they may not feel so warm and fuzzy with you and might be your last sale <laughs> Well, I totally agree with that. I understand. So how you been, big guy? Yeah, I've been doing really good. You know, my, my riding schools really did well this year. My, my aviation sales are done really good. You know, we're uh, breeding French Bulldogs now. The wife wanted something to do. So we have seven French Bulldog puppies out here. Oh, gosh, we're, I'm cleaning up more pee and poop than I ever did in my lifetime. So uh, <laughs> that's doing really, man, that's doing really good. And, um, you know, we play with, uh, you know, buy a lot of trucks and, ha- you know, have a lot of fun buying and selling some trucks as well. So we- we've been doing really good this year. You know, when-, when I retired, I focused on racing for 33 years. One thing. When I retired, I got bored. I'm like, I got to do something, you know. So I got my crop dusting license last year. So I've been doing some of that this year. And next year, I'm looking at getting a little bit nicer plane to do that and just try to keep busy. And variety is the spice of life. You know, I like to do a few different things here and there and just have fun with it, you know. That's that's what it's all about. So that brings me to why I wanted to have you on. And you and I exchanged a few text messages. What do you think about AMA and the Hall of Fame and Gary Denton? Well, there's three different comments I can make. <laughs> Let's keep it. <laughs> AMA uh, should have got Gary Denton in the Hall of Fame 15, 20 years ago. Uh, for whatever reason, as everybody knows, there's no secret. You know, quads have been stepchilds from for AMA for years, and for them to finally allow and honor the best ever Gary Denton, 
It's it's amazing. He, he deserves it. He's the number one guy. It's, you know, eight times consecutive. Nobody's ever done that. Um, especially from factories to non-factories to make just barely making it to you know, he's just a phenomenal guy. He and I talked for an hour from last week about it. You know, after he got it, you know, just he's still one heck of a businessman. Makes great money and just all, all around badass guy. You know, so he deserves it. Yeah, I think it's. I think that there's quite a few others out there that deserve it as well. Uh, I hope that we see a a pattern of change uh, with getting the ATV guys recognized, even if it's every couple of years somebody gets in that's still better than nobody at all. You're exactly right. You, you know, not to take this credit from anybody there, you know, but you look at the panel through all the people that have been inducted in the AMA Hall of Fame, you're like, I don't even know 90% of these guys. And I'm a big, two, you know, two enthusiast, you know, and of course quad, but some of these people, women, men, whoever, you don't even know who they are. Are they, was the fastest downhill when one hill over here in the county, you know, it's something like that, you know, you know, all your top supercross, motocross, road racing, those guys deserve to be in there. And maybe some of your legends, sure. But when you got people in there that have never won a world or national championship and anything and are still in there, well, look at Chad Weenan, look at Joel Hedrick and myself and John Natale and Kramer and Wimmer and we, all these guys. And we're not even thought about, not even, you know, so. Yeah. Well, sure. you're a, you're, you're a two-time champion, right? Right. And, and how many times were you runner up? Uh, three or four times. So, I mean, right there, that's a career for uh, most of your motorcycle guys that get in. Right. You know, exactly. they one title and they're in, you know, and look at your most your quad guys. You know, I raced for 33 years, did it till I was 45 years old. Yep. Most dirt bike guys don't even make 20 years and they barely make t- past their 30s. And all the guys that's carried the ATV racing and carried the sport for AMA to get those funds. You know, I should acknowledge all of us, you know, I mean, there's, there's tons of supercross motocross guys that are in there and well-deserving and I take anything from them, but it's about time that ATV got on the mat with Gary Denton and it should be, he should be the first one and use the bat, you know, and now you got far that should be in it and Shane Hitt should be in all these national champions and not just national champions, but people like Donnie Banks. He was the bulldog. He was one of the best guys ever race a four but never won a championship. And he, you know, won tons of races. I'm just one bad dude. He should be in there, you know, even though he never won a title or at least some AMA or, you know, quad championship, you know, nationals, but he should still be in there. Right. Because he was a, he, he did a lot of great things for the sport and brought people to us. Uh, it, you know, he had the track and had nationals at his track for a while. Right, he did more for the sport than just ride, put him on ride. You know, he did give back to the sport. That's the type of guys, you know, that, should be in there the people do more for the sport than just get a paycheck put a hell on you know so well shouldn't some of the women be involved in this absolutely there's three or four women at you know back in the day when my ex-wife was in it she was one of one of badass women there was you know and so you've got i remember uh, her and susan parker and angela moore butler um leslie wells some of those girls you know when the pros went on the line maybe the pro-am they'd be watching women's race man they're doing all the jump and banging back and forth and so though all those girls deserve to be in there but and i'm sure there's a lot of female rate two wheel racers in there i'm sure deservingly but where are female racers you know they need to be somewhere down the line involved in that as well you know do you speak to anybody at the ama at ama ever or any of the voting members i just when i see them i mean i don't have to call and talk to them or anything just when i bump into them at a, maybe a convention or something or race or something or daytona sometimes but um, and when I was racing and when it was really big, you know, when all the factories were there making all the big money, then yes, we would talk a little more, but still they were like, 
you know, only because Honda was there. It, once all the factors got out, they just kind of lost their number. Wow. That's, that's, that's kind of pitiful, you know, that they, they made money on ATVs and you know, they make good money on ATVs. Yeah. I know they make probably just as much, if not more on motorcycles, but the sales for the factories, the ATVs kept the factory teams running. For sure. Even if, you know, we all know it wasn't just sport bikes, but all the utility bikes, brand product marketing, you know, you got to brand it with your ATVs racing or, you know, sport riding or AMA, you're selling utility bikes through the other folders or vice versa. You're selling lawnmowers and cars through ATV racing. Of course, the Supercross are the most because they're on TV more. And that's what Honda told me one time. He goes, you're lucky if you even got a, con a contract. I'm like, what you yeah, I absolutely am. But why are you saying that? You know, it's kind of disrespectful. And he goes, we don't need to go full racing. He goes, our Supercross team loses money. We don't make money going to Supercross. We lose money. But it's branding. We're branding the name to sell ATVs and side-by-sides and lawnmowers and jet skis and cars. And that's why we go Supercross racing. It ain't because it's we're making money doing it. It's just branding it. And you're doing the same thing that the dirt bikes are doing, basically. So we don't need two disciplines doing the same thing. I'm like, well, it's not exactly two disciplines doing the same thing. So, But he had a point to an extent. But... Same time, you know, you don't go buy an airplane because this guy's fast in a car. You know, it's right. two different things. Sometimes we're at the same tracks, but you got two different levels of people, two different levels of income, two, most of the time, two different levels of education. You know, so you go to a regional or local dirt bike race, most of the guys, well, now there are a lot of stuff, but for the most part, for a long time, they go up in the back of a pickup truck. They may have a little trailer, they got a $5,000 bike, $5,000 trailer, $20,000 truck. They're in it for whatever number, 30 grand. You have a quad, your quad's 30 grand. <laughs> you know, your truck to pull, this trailer probably has to take two or three because you got to have a backup bike and a practice bike. You get your 100 grand into it. So now that level of obviously a person that makes 100, 150,000 a year normally has a higher education than somebody makes 30 grand a year. So therefore, they're spending more money. And that's what a lot of these people don't realize how much more ATV families spend going to races in the dirt bike community. Oh, it's, it, they're not even comparable. You know, what was it a few years ago? One of the Chaparral guys got the Chaparral team disbanded. And I forget the guy's name, went and bought a Honda. They put some uh, suspension on it and some other trinkets. Uh, and he went out and got fifth, you know, with a production off the showroom bike. Yeah. Because his team disbanded right before the race. Right. You know, and, and everybody helped him out. You couldn't do that with an ATV today. You no. Couldn't, you couldn't do that. Not even close. Remember, that's what they came out with the Yamaha back in 0405. You know, it's the race bike, and compared to the 400X and the Z400 and the, what we had to ride, it was a race bike. But compared to the 250Rs, and then at that time, we had these Walsh hybrid, you know, CRF 500 Lincolns, you know, CRF 450 dirt bike engines. I mean, that thing would smoke this Yamaha. And so then Suzuki came out race ready. Well, now you, if everybody rode the production bikes, okay, yeah, it would have been considered race ready, but we know that it compared to our race bikes, it's a, it's a works bike to, like the dirt bikes had in the eighties. They wouldn't race ready. They're just wide. <laughs> so. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, we had to change the A-arms, the shocks, the motor got modded, you know, yeah. it, it, you had to prep them for what the pros were going to do because there's not a production, there's not a production ATV sold that you could roll to the starting line and let a pro yeah. ride it and have him not break the thing in half. Now, even a pro production class they got now that you know, half a dozen people or 10 people racing, they do a lot of modifications to those stock bikes so they can, you know, 
go out and perform like they are. Now, I've rolled some stock Yamaha, and um, I changed the tire, put some Nerf bars on it, and adjusted a shock. Use a stock shock and can do most all the jumps when it's comfortable because <laughs> it's a little, little stiff, but you can still do most of the jumps. So it's not bad. And Suzuki wasn't bad, but it's still not competitive against anything else we're used to. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, the, the transition, especially from where I come from, you come from the same era, where we went from the 250R, where it was a stock frame 250R, we went to suspension, then we went to aftermarket frames. And, and I still don't, don't believe that there's a four-stroke that handles as good as the the Lager Lobos of no, you know, I've, I've, I think I mentioned this last time. I've got all these quads hanging up, probably 30 quads here at the Burr compound. And my Lager 250R with roll active shocks on it, I hung it up a few years back. I said, I'm going to ride it one more time. You know, I just got to. And of course, it felt weird because it's just a different jump to what we're used to because I've been racing, gosh, the production bikes about as long as I did the 250Rs. And it still handled as good as my what I'm racing, my factory Honda you know, $100,000 quad did, you know, because they just had that geometry, low center graph. We'd have to lower it. You know, you got to lower all these things down and you're just, it didn't have the power because you're, you know, a little 252 stroke, but it handled just as good as what we raced today. And that, and that thing's been sitting around. I haven't revived the shock since 2002. <laughs> so it's 19 years it's been sitting there. Can you believe that the jumps that you did on the 250R are the similar jumps that you do on the four stroke? Well, they are similar. They got some of the, you know, for a while there, we had crazy jumps on the 250Rs. And you're hitting stuff, I mean, just pan and just hoping you're sucking up, hoping you make it. And then for a few years there, they went away with all the hard track, everything, every the freeway. And then the last few years, they started coming back with a little more hard tracks, a little more technical. And that's where you separate the men from the boys, either make it really rough or really technical. Because anybody can go, you know, like for the most part, ride Unadilla. It's wide open, it's pretty smooth, you know. Make it where remember back years ago, Loretta Lens had the Ten Commandments. There wasn't the pros that could make it through there, Dublin. Now, I mean, 90s are doubling through there, and the dirt bikes are going three, four, and out, you know, whatever. It's crazy. So they need to make the track. They're putting all this sawdust and sand on these tracks, and it's good for the promoter, keeps it moist and everything, but it makes it a one-line train track, and you can't go in and score off the turn, block past nobody because it's one line. And they'll put split lanes in thinking they're doing something, but they don't keep the split lanes. Even and now you got instead of a 20 foot wide track, you got a six foot wide track because you got a berm in the middle. Now you got one slow lane and everybody's train tracking. It's terrible. I I don't believe that the sport is evolved correctly. Motocross is supposed to be motocross. Yep. These aren't supposed to be groomed freeways with big jumps. They're right. supposed to be rough all the way around the track. And and okay, I don't want to offend anybody. But I come from the era where they watered it and left it. There yeah. was no tilling. There was no fixing any portion of it. The way it panned out is the way it was. You got to watch Ricky Johnson and Brock Lover and guys like this ride Carlsbad Raceway. And it was hard packed, little moguls everywhere with big holes and chunks and you know, there might have been, you had to search for good lines. And when you right. wrote a three-wheeler on there or you wrote a four-wheeler, dude, it beat you to death because you just couldn't find a good smooth line. You just had to ride through it. And yes, I get, I, I look at some of the videos and I'm not taking anything away from Joel. I'm not taking anything away from Chad or any of the other guys. Most of those tracks looked 
so well groomed. Yeah. Well, they do that for main reasons. So it's easy. The more they groom it, the less dusty it is. The crowd don't want to be around the dust. I, and it's safer if you can see versus being dusty. So I get that part. But what I don't like is when they don't prep the turns so it's passable. Usually the turns are one line. If they're going to have two or three lines down the straightaways and into whoops and they make these split lanes, make the turns where you can go in and block past the heck out of somebody or score off a turn. I was doing a score here the other day and I'm like, I need sure how to score off a turn. I'm like, for what? You can't score off turns in half these tracks because they're all sandy and they're all train track and you, you can't, there's nothing, you can't cross the, tr- the ruts. They're so deep. The little, little mini bikes barely can't get through. Their chains are popping or high centering, you know. They need to prep the turns where it's raceable. I don't, care if it's, I don't care how rough it is down a straightaway, but if most passes are made in the turns. So I like to see people block people or squirrel turn or outbreak them or something now, and it's just not there anymore. So good rough tracks or good technical tracks, that's what we need to get back to. I would like to see uh, that as well. You know, I was never a big, huge guy believing in jumping, but motocross is big jumps, you know, and, it, and as long as they're what you might consider, you got to have a, you got to have a, 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 a landing area that's allows you not to jump the big jump and still, you know, keep your wheels underneath you. Right. You got it. The big jumps are cool. People like to see it. They want to go see, you know, all of us or, you know, new guys, they want, we, they want to see these guys. Oh, look, that's cool. It's got to be cool to do and it's got to be fun or the racers aren't, don't want to go to the tracks and they don't want to go. There's nothing to watch. So, that's why I'm saying make the turns more raceable. Keep the tracks fun and technical so the best guy does win. It's not just a train track. For, you know, well, follow the leader. Let's let's get into that question. It's a little sooner than I wanted to, but we, we, we got off track from the Hall of Fame. When you're teaching the schools, what is like the primary thing that you teach? Is it corner speed? Well, the first thing we'll go over is bike set up and make sure the quads are ready. First thing, you know, make sure they understand. Now, the little guys, you know, you're talking five to 10-year-olds. When I start going over bike set up, <laughs> you know, so that's mainly for moms and dads. You know, they're the ones setting the bike up. When the boy turns 13, 14, he needs to learn how to, you know, know how to set that machine up and know what cash or camera and towing is and why you change it, where the numbers need to be and ride heights and you know, Jack and, you know, and, and Sway Bars. Can you we talk? I did the TT school here the other day. So they didn't know how all that works. And when a ride height's up in the front, how the weight transfer, when it's down in the front, or, you know, the wider, or the you know, the wider bike for more traction, less traction, and narrow. So they didn't know how all these geometrical changes work, you know, handbar positioning and how much play you have in your clutch and chain. A lot of people don't know any of that. And so, oh. and then, you know, then we make sure the machine's ready to go out on track. You know, I, you, I make a joke and I usually say, you know, every one thing I find wrong with your machine, you owe me 10 push-ups and sometimes it's 20 push-ups. So I'll go around through, check. Sometimes I'll take the wheel off of my hand, give the guy, here's your, here's your bolt back. Or I'll take the, you know, vent cap off the gas cap. Say, if this falls off, that you get a mud dirt cut on that uh, gas cap, it's going to vapor lock. You know, little stuff like that. Or, hey, you ain't got any air in your tires. <laughs> you know, or your chain's about to fall off or it's too tight or... Why do you lose it? Little stuff, you know, where the nerf bar's about to fall off or, you know, you ain't got any pipe springs on. So I do that one, so nobody gets hurt or killed on the track because it is dangerous. And two, they don't waste their time and money being in a trainer working on a machine where everybody else is out there learning. So they come there to learn not to be working on their bikes, <laughs> you know? So we do that right at the beginning. And then at the end of that first day, everybody's working on their machines. Nobody wants to do push-ups the next day. And I go help them after hours and see if they need help setting up or do whatever. So that's the first thing we do. Then throughout the day, 
we'll do jumps and whoops and starts and turns and breaking and passing and talk about diet and nutrition. We'll go over all of it. But the number one thing that makes most everybody the fastest over the lap time. So, we'll, you know, after we get done, when you get comfortable trap and get a lap time, we'll do the whole school that day, the whole school the next day, because my normal group school is two days. We do private lessons and I got an advanced school, but they're different. They're two to five, you know, or longer. So the regular group school is two days. And the second day we do another lap time when they get done to see how fast I got. Some people get, I mean, their average is eight to 10 seconds. Everybody been doing it for 25 years now, you know? And so most people I've had a young lady who today got 17 seconds faster in one lap, one lap. I'm like, holy crap. So I did the numbers like you realize from yesterday morning to this afternoon, you lapped yourself in six laps. And she was on my bike. She rented my, my school bike and it wasn't even her machine. <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm so excited. So yeah, Monica Aker is her name. She she did really, really well. And there's people that, you know, there's a few that get maybe five or six seconds. You know, of course, I tell them, to, you know, five or six seconds, that's awesome. Can you imagine if Chad Weenan or Joe Hector got five seconds faster lap? He could start on a pro starting line at the Dirt Bike National, drop the gate and still beat everybody. You know, that's how, you know, because him and Weenan are about as fast as, you know, Tomac and Rocks on these guys. So five, six seconds in one lap, they race four or five laps. And you're talking about 20, 25 seconds, you know, that's a lot. And then I got some people, they make ain't 30 seconds that come here really, really rookies that maybe they're 30 years old, ain't rode 15 years, and they got a brand new bike. Those kind of guys make it as pretty rare to get 30 seconds. But that's what's so fun about it. Seeing how much people I really enjoy it. See how many, how many seconds people gain in that one lap and see their eyes when they see the numbers, you know, how much they learn, you know. So we'll do all kinds of stuff. But breaking into their turns and turns are the number one thing that they take away. Because you can do how many doubles you're going to do or triples you're going to do versus what you wasn't doing to gain 15 seconds a lap. It don't happen. Not more, not more. Not. I mean, it's, it's like when I get to work with somebody, the first thing that I want to do is work. You know, generally the bike is prepped when we go there uh, right. because I don't do a school like you do. I do one-on-ones, one-on-ones. I don't do anything special. And the first thing I want to work is turns. The first yeah. thing I want to do is work to the corner speed, how you come in, how you exit, how you drive through the center of the turn, you know, are you going to drive on the bottom? Are you going to drive on the top? You know, is it a flat turn? Is it, you know, did all, all of those things matter how, how you teach it. And I'm not a motocross guy per se, like you are. I come more from the off-road background. Um, so some of those guys don't have to turn at all. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, and I've taught, you know, you know, I've raced some desert races, of course, a lot of flat track, and cross country races. So I've been there and done it all. So I've got guys from desert racers across country, motocross, TT, flat, all those guys come here because it's all about setup and, and mainly turns. And if you're racing desert with a motocross bike, not going to be too pretty, <laughs> you know, and vice versa. So it's, all, it's a lot about setup. But your fastest desert guys are generally motocross guys. Usually, yeah. And usually you're right. So, but the schools, like I said, it's been really good. The last year we didn't do any with a stupid virus mess. And then the year before was pretty slow. The year before that was kind of slow. You know, I think 16, 17 is pretty good. So the last few years it's been, you know, pretty slow. And so, and of course, me retiring, I guess people thought when I retired, I quit doing schools and I don't know how to ride anymore. <laughs> you know, so uh, that has since changed. And I did a lot of schools this year. A lot of, I had one school back in August that was, I bet I had, I think it was right at 20 riders. Of course, everybody brings two, three, four people. I bet it almost 100 people here at my house. I had people camped out in the, uh, in the middle of the track, out here at the house, by the shops. And, you know, we just had a big time. I just love it. I just heat it up. You know, of course, you know, it's hot, 98 degrees. And, you know, everybody's getting tired. But we just had a big time. And so towards the end of day one, we see 
I say, okay, this is the last thing we're going to do today. And they're all retired, their hands are hurting. You know, I say, we're going to see how physically fit we are. You, are you ready? And I'm cutting up with them because we're, we're starting to know each other now. I mean, I'm having fun with it, you know. I look at the little eight-year-old, you physically fit? Mm, I'm ready. You know, I look at the 16-year-old girl, you physically fit? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. You know, she's a girl smack talking. I'm like, all right, let's see. Pick me a number between one and 20. I said, because I got a different exercise program from all these numbers. Number one, you're going to do this. Number two, you're doing this. 19, you're doing this here because I got a whole lot of training programs. And I'll pick a number, you know, they'll pick a number or whatever. And I always, you know, usually I'll pick seven, you know. So, and I always, and I change number seven to be different, you know. Okay, you're pushing a quad around a track or you're running one lap around a track and every jump you're doing five push-ups or 10 squats or whatever it may be. Oh, no. And so, or we push a quad up the driveway. Oh, the driveway is only, you know, 75 yards. And so they all get, you know, maybe they want to do the quad, push quad up the driveway. But then, I, oh, I forgot to tell you, mom's going to be sitting on a folder with you, and you got to do it three times, <laughs> you know. <laughs> have fun with it. Yeah. So, so anyway, so, and when they start doing these exercises, they realize, you know, it's 90% of them. There's some good guys that come here, and they're all, you know, they're all good people. We're just saying some athletes come ready to go. But still, when I put them through the training of what a top motocross rider, myself and Vitaly and Creamer and Ween and, you know, Wimmer and Petrick, all these guys, there's a lot of the guys, but I didn't mention your name, sorry, that what they did for training, you know, supersedes most all your Olympic athletes, your football trainers, your basketball trainers, because we're not only running and biking and swimming and push-ups and sit-ups and, you know, arm exercises and dieting like they are. We're also riding a 400-pound bull for 30 minutes twice a day. They're not doing that. Did you see Lance Armstrong or, you know, uh, Michael Phelps? Ride a folder for training? No. <laughs> so we're doing everything that they did, plus we're riding this folder. You know, it's, you know, they've done studies. You know, I remember years ago where ATV motocross is the most physical man sport in the world. People don't realize that because they think, well, my grandma can ride a folder. Okay, but can your grandma ride a racing folder or a thoroughbred horse? <laughs> you know, that right, for right, right. Four different ball game. You know, let me put her on the back of a Ferrari and go around a Formula One track, you know, versus put her in a, you know, horse and buggy and let her go down the road. Big difference, you know. So I work. I work, with a young man out, I work with a young man out here on the West Coast. Uh, he's a professional motorcycle r- racer in the works, and he races professional quad. And he said the quad helps him on the bike because he's stronger than he was before, and he can his endurance is better, his focus is better. Everything got better when he started riding the quad. And he says he couldn't believe that there were muscles that hurt that he didn't know he had when he started riding the quad. He says, you know, I'm training for the bike. I'm riding. I'm doing all these things. I'm in great physical shape. I ride that quad for 40 minutes and I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, perfect example, you know, Natalia Taylor is, he's a good bike rider. You know, Hedge is a good bike rider. Doug Gus, Doug Gus actually qualifies for the bike. He's a really good bike rider. He'll come down here, and I'm thinking, you're going to bring a quad? He never brings his quad. He brings his dirt bike. I'm like, why? I can't ride that quad no more. It beats me up. So he was down here last year, and we rode, and he was riding a dirt bike, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten laps. I'm like, man, pretty darn good shape. Because I'm going four or five on my quad, you know. I'm like, let's swap. And it was just right opposite, you know. And he could ride a quad maybe three laps where he's like, his tongue's hanging out. It's just, you know, you, you have – have twice the timing on a quad you do a dirt bike. You're not going to come up short, you know, front tire to back tire, and you're going to end up on your head. Dirt bikes can soak up so much stuff, and you don't you don't hang off a dirt bike and pull yourself. Those G forces aren't going to turn. So you hang off a quad first. You got to hang on that thing, then you got to pull yourself back up, and all this G forces in turns. You don't have that dirt bike. You sit on the bike when you go in a turn. It squishes you into the seat, so it doesn't beat you and hang. You don't have to hang on that way. You got to hang on coming out of the turns. 
but he only wrestled 200 pounds too, not 400 pounds. So it's even Jeremy McGrath, you know, I'm friends with him. He, me, him, Doug Gus went, went on his boat one time. He, he went and rode a banshee. And he's like, oh my God, I can't believe you ride these things. You know, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, he had a video one time saying that, you know, but it's true. And so hats off to them. They, they do great and make good money. And, but when people realize what these guys are doing on quads nowadays, pretty impressive. Did you get to go to many races last year or 2021 this year? Uh, yes. Well, I went to two or three. I know me and Greg, Greg Paffer and I, we flew to uh, Texas down there, uh, Houston, and we went to our lens, of course. I can't remember if we went to another line. So many schools going on. I think I just went to those two, maybe. What do you think of Chad Weenan? Well, he's a phenomenal rider. Eight times. You can't say, I mean, you know, he's, he's a bad dude. I mean, you know, he, he's been a bad dude since, what, 2006? And so he was competitors Lars from 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all the way through. You know, he jumped around on machines, and that, which I never thought was a good idea, but, you know, he's got to make a living. I totally get that. You know, he raced every machine out there or every brand out there. When he got on Yamaha, of course, when he got on Yamaha, you know, those disrespect him. When he got on Yamaha, most of the top guys had to get out. And that's, you know, he got lucky. And, you know, I'm going to be lucky as good any day. But he won his first championship on the Yamaha, and he's won all of them since then. And didn't he win a – didn't he win on a uh, Suzuki? What race? First one on a Suzuki. No, Yamaha. All of them have been pretty, on Yamaha? Oh, so let's see, 12, 30, yeah, 12 pretty sure is his first move. Or, Vitaly won 11. Creamer won 10. Wimmer won nine and eight. I won six, seven. Five was Natalie. Four was Gus. Three was still uh, hybrid stuff. And Jones beat me by one point there and so on. So, yeah, it was – he never won until – you know, I always cut up and say he never won until all of us got out, you know, so to speak. But, you know, he's still a bad dude. He's still competitor back then. But he finally got to where he had a good program. He's training. He's always been fast, always been in good shape. And – Unfortunately, and I say it's unfortunately for him and Hedrick, they're the only guys out there, so to speak. And, and no disrespect to Forwards and you know Hogue and all these other guys out there, they're all faster. I don't want you watch lap times. I watch it every time it comes on. I'm watching lap times. Like, man, this guy may do something this week. And he's doing, you know, he's like half a second off, or sometimes Ford be fast to qualifier. There's a, there's a the reason why they're not winning, and I'd go into that all day long. But then I wouldn't have riding schools. But there is a reason why they're not winning. It's a couple different reasons, but they are fast enough to win. But Hedrick season, Wiener's for sure season, and, and they, they're ready and focused on what they have to do. And for Wiener and Hedrick, they better ride this wave as long as they can because when these young guys figure it out, they're going to have 10 guys that can win like we used to. I'm talking about 2002, the 2009-10-11, there was 10 guys that can win. My last race, Lane, that I won, I qualified 12th place. I was a second half, two seconds off. Well, that ain't nothing. I mean, you see – Hedrick maybe went qualifier by a second half, two seconds or winning. Well, heck, they can start back on the game and still get first or second nowadays, you know. So it's good for them now, but it's not good for the sport because they're struggling to get sponsored because it's just them too. They, and it's boring to go watch. Well, I went to watch both those races. I'm like, it's first half the race was good, but then everybody falls off the pace. You're like, uh, you know, you know, both good guys, but it's just boring to watch, you know. So once they get the camaraderie and they come, or, or, or once they get the competitive stuff, and there's ten guys that can win again, now it's like, oh man, you know, my guys are gonna win. Now you got nice this weekend. We'll be winning next weekend. Then I think there's gonna be more involvement in the sport. Hopefully, the factories come back, but even if they don't, the within the industry will get more excited about it. You know, so I was watching in twenty, a little bit in nineteen, and 
you see third back in 18 and 19 third was the same guy. Yeah. So the top three were already set. You might get Rastrelli in there a little bit, you know, beating Brown, but it was Hetrick and Weenan, Hetrick and Weenan, and, you know, third was Brown most of the time. Now, if you look at 2021, third place changed hands almost every race. Yeah. Well, I always joke about this, too. You got two riders in a pro class, and they race in the pro-ams. Because basically all the pro-am guys moved up, and they're all they're great riders, but they're still riding pro-am mentality. And you, they're racing. So it looks like Chad and Joel went to the pro-am class because that's all that's in there other than Joel and Chad. There's no other – I don't want to piss off at me. There's no other seasoned they pros were, in there. But They were closer this year than they had been. Yeah, yeah, and Rastrelli, I know he had, he had still cured it, but you usually don't cure FC Barbara. So he was right there. I thought he was going to be the next guy to jump past Thomas Brown and challenge him because he's got speed. But he had the FC Barbara a few years ago, and I've had it. It's terrible. You know, it's like mono steroids. I see that haunting him the rest of his career. He may just, I don't know if he's ever going to get over it. You know, just like, gosh, there's several dirt bike guys. Had, he you know, he was starting to get better at the end of the year, he said. So that's something that where he just can't overdrain. He's got to drain early. Train hard, but don't overtrain because it really affects you. It really does. So yeah, when it was time, it was basically winning Hedrick, and you got Brown and Rastrelli, and then the rest of the group. So now Brown's out, Rastrelli's struggling, and with with that, to my last knowledge, and so hopefully he gets over that because he he could be up there if he gets a program together or gets his head together. I'm not, you know, and I like Jeff. I don't know what his, I don't really study his program enough to know what his weaknesses are, but he's got something. He's got the talent there. Something's missing when he's not up for a battle with those guys. That's seventeen-year-old kid Linquist. He's good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think he's going to come through the field um, as after he gets his sea legs underneath him. And look, man- <laughs> when, when, when he gets that man strength, look out because yep. he, he's already really fast. He's a great rider. He's got he's got to make sure he stays off the normal 19, 20 year old, you know, chasing the women, the drugs, the boo, you know, the, all, all the mess that usually we, we lose them from, but he's got the ingredients there. Let's see if he stirs the pot and goes cooking, you know, cause he's got what it takes. Ford's got what it takes. There's some missing ingredients there. Let's see if he can, you know, cook them and see what happens. You know, there, there, there's, there's guys, other guys that have a talent to win for sure. And that's what the sport needs. Right. That's what I was, I was kind of hoping for um, is to see, the pot boil and change the order. I, I was looking at the beginning of the year. I'm using my word. I'm choosing my words carefully. <laughs> I was watching the beginning of the year and I thought it was going to be a runaway. Yeah. When Joel came out I, after um, Florida and just bang, win, bang, win, bang, win. Uh, I didn't think he was going to get beat. You know. I really didn't either. And watching his, his bike work and how he was charging, I thought it's this year. And like I said, I know a little bit about that whole, you know, I know Joe pretty good. And there is something missing there. And I think, no, not I'm using my two cents worth, but there is a little bit missing there. Otherwise, he, he'd be unstoppable. And Weenan's thinks he's lucky. He better think he's lucky started. He ain't got it figured out yet. And Weenan's got it. Weenan is as good as he's going to get. And that's no disrespect to him, but he's been, bad, he's been a badass for at least. Gosh, almost 10 years. He's been the dominant force. And but he's he changed, but he changed up his program two years yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I don't think it did shit for him. I mean, he 
texts me all he wants, bad stuff, but he didn't do shit for him. He, he's been a badass since day one. It ain't changed. He ain't got any faster. He's not going to get any faster, but he don't need to get faster. He's still an eight-time champion. I mean, he's, he's what, 36, 70 years old? He's going to be 38. Yeah, so he's not going to win much more because these young guys are going to come up. Trust me. I was 38 winning, 39 doing good, 40 podium, 41-2 podium, and we had 10 guys that could win. Okay, he's gonna feel it sooner or later. And once these young guys come up and start like like Hedger did, if you got two or three more Hedricks that are beating him on a regular basis, that he's got to step it up another notch, won't happen. You know, just, he's he's got two kids, you know, he's got a family, you know, he's gotta pay the bills. He needs to do it for as long as he can because he's the smartest guy on the track and he's got the best program. So Chad do it as long as you can, brother, because when you retire from racing. <laughs> the money's gone. I mean, you got to start a business up and do it that way. You don't just get to ride your morals like nobody else. Digger didn't, didn't do it. I didn't do it. Natalia didn't do it. Gus didn't do it. These are some of the best ever straddle forwards. The industry turns its back on you when you quit racing. Yeah. It, it, uh, even when you step away from being a mechanic in that environment, if you miss a season or if you you do something else, the same thing happens to us too. You know? Yeah, you got you got to be right there the whole time. Right, there. we can't race forever. You know, I was too old to race professionally, and too young to retire. You know, forty, what am I? Forty, forty-five. Yeah, what am I gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> I want to keep racing, and and I could have still got there. You know, I had a, I had a neck surgery, I had it from the bar, I got a part of it. You know, last few years was shit for me. Right before that, I got second. And I finally got my crap together. I mean, when it was, you know, my last year I was going to race, four days before the race, I got hurt. I was, I got video of me, me battling Wayne in. And I passed him in there. He passed me. We had a great time practicing together that in um, March down or February, March down in Florida. I loved it. We had a good time. And I just thought, man, I'm either going to win or podium at Daytona. I told my wife, if I win, I'm retired right there on the podium. And then I ended up getting hurt four days before the race. And, but you know, that's crying to the wolf there. But yeah, it's, when you retire, you better have a backup. And I was fortunate that I made a lot of money doing it. And that was my backup. And I still had the riding schools and I still coach people and, and you know, teach people how to get sponsors. So I still a lot of stuff I do as long, you know, as well as all my other businesses with aviation and stuff. So that's just the next step as a racer going to airplanes, you know, stuff and do crop dust. And that's, that's cool stuff. But I still miss racing. I still miss all the people there. And just, that's why I do the schools. I don't do schools for money. I got charged something. I do a hundred a day, but I do it to stay in the sport and be around you guys, you know, Lenny Duncan and, you know, Joel Hedricks and all my buddies, Pafford and Parrish and, you know, all these guys at the races that I miss seeing, you know, and um, old mechanics and stuff. You're going to miss that stuff. Right. I hear you. (laughs) So let's go back to the beginning of our conversation and go to the hall of fame. And because we never finished. Oh yeah. Where do you see it going from here? Do you see the ATV world putting pressure on them to get another guy in next year? No, because everybody's so happy now. They'll forget about it and go racing. We need to do that. I think they need to induct somebody every year because look, it's nobody's getting any younger. I mean, and some of these guys, you know, they're or, you know, I don't know how Donnie Banks is and Ronnie Gentry. You know, these guys are mid late fifties. Doug Gus is mid fifty. You know, some of these guys. You're not promised to live to be 79 yourself, you know. So I'd like to see all these guys. You know, the next 20 years, if you end up one top pro, you still won't have all the guys that deserve, deserve it. You know, there's more than 20 pros that, that deserve to get in there. Look at Doug Agnew. He never won the ATV National Championship. 
but he won a lot of races and a lot of West Coast work stuff and desert stuff. He deserves to be in there. You know, he's they're you know, never they're never going <laughs> to put a non-AMA guy in there. I mean, he won he won three pro am titles, but that's not that's not going to get him in the that's not going to get him with all of the other accolades in there. Maybe not. Maybe that's Donnie Bates will never get in there either. But still, they deserve it because AMA Donnie was never AMA champion. I was the first AMA champion. Donnie was a, never an, an ATB rider national champion period gary Denton was never ama pro champion either was it he was an atba pro champion we didn't have ama till 2007 so it's a gray area there i get that but it's still room for other people that yeah, we are, still had to pay the ama right we were still paying the ama even though it was a atva right you know right. i mean i got my ama card to race atva right that but so you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that should be in there other than just some of the guys that just won AMA races, you know. There's only been what, uh, I mean, ATB national champions. You got Gary Denton. Well, Rodney Ginger was the first one. Right. Gary, yeah, I was going to mention him. Yep, so you got Rodney, you got Gary, Tim Farb broke the chain, Shane hit. Who was after Shane? Uh, was it Jones? It might have been. Believe, oh, no, Travis Bader. Spader was in 2000. Jones, uh, wasn't Jones before Spader in, in 98? No, I think it was far. We might be missing somebody, but I know it's we, we're getting the guys right anyway. So we got, yeah, we got. Spader. Jones was in one, 2001. Did he win two, two as well? No, he only got one. Okay, so, well, then you got uh, Natali, me, Wimmer. Creamer. Who's that? Uh, Natalia again, wasn't it? Yeah, Natalia again after Creamer. So there's 10 and 11 to be winning. So only 11 ATV motocross champions. And we've been doing it for 35, six years. So you could do for the next 20 years and capture all the anime top pro riders and then start having to look at other you know disciplines of how to bring people. It's people that you know, people like, um, you know, well, yeah, when, okay, you, you got, okay. Let's say you got the 11 pro guys or 12 or 13, however many it is. And then you have five or six women, you yeah. know, Andrea and Virgil, three-time woman's MX champion right now, you know, and she's three consecutive. So, you know, she may retire by then she may not. And look at the older ones, you know, Angela Moore Butler, she had what, five, six, I don't know. Uh, Heather Bird had, and she had eight, and then so there's a lot of girls that should be in there. And then you go to people that didn't even race, like I know there's people that are members of the AMA that are in there on the dirt bike side, but people like uh, you guys, people like Tom Carlson, Wayne Henson, Kurt yep. Spark, they're just sport. You know, without you guys, when it when it was big in the 80s and it dropped off to nothing, and if without your Duncans and Sparks and TCs and Henson and they were saying so on, what about the regular guys? With Marty Hart, Jimmy White, Mike Cole, Dean Soto, yep. all these guys, you know. Yep. All sure of those guys need to be in there. Yeah, we don't have to be just us, you know, the most recognizable, you know, because we made the most money, the most TV time, whatever they say. Those guys were bad dudes in the 80s. They should be in there, too. Yep. So, anyways, yeah, I think it's great. You ask me, do you think people are going to push Amy to do it? No, I don't think so, because people get lazy in the sport. I think somebody should push them. Somebody with a little bit of clout should do it 
and maybe they will do the next one. You know, if not every year, every other year. That we they should do it. I know they do half a dozen guys in dirt bikes every year. Every supercross, motocross guy gets it, and then half a dozen other disciplines. So we have a lot of disciplines too: TT, flat track. You know, there's a lot of disciplines in it. So they should do something. But who's the guy they're going to push them? Does we the should... a- does the AMA back the GNCC? I don't think so. Bro, I think it's just Coombs. Yeah, because you're not gonna get the, you're not gonna get those guys in there, you know. But it's, there's plenty of guys, so we need to have some way or another. Maybe on your podcast, maybe on Jennifer's podcast, all these guys that are doing these podcasts, which is great. Maybe put a link in there, say send this to the AMA. We want to induct another rider because you guys are getting way more exposure than anybody else, you know. So people like me, I run my all day long. So who's next? I mean, you got to vote on. I mean, I can't. You, I can't. I know who I think's next, and you know who you think's next, and these, all these guys know who they. Well, think. I mean, I'm asking you your opinion. Who's next? Who should be next? Um, gosh, you, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, you got you can't just go off who won the most. Who's the? Tim Far broke in Shane. He should yep. be. If not next, that's, the next. Yeah, for sure. I saw. I I think Timmy Far is your next guy. You and know, he, what's sad is a lot of guys, he was one of the baddest dudes for God, 20 years, maybe that it was. And a lot of guys today, you say Tim Farr's name, what? I said somebody's name the other day, you know, so and so, maybe it was Gary Denton. <laughs> and we're like, if you don't know Gary Denton, you don't love the sport. If you don't know Tim Farr, you don't love the sport. I mean, those guys, sure, they've been out there for gosh, what, uh, 14, 15 years. But I knew when I was, well, I was in sports since day one, pretty much. But you know, for the most part, you should know who your heritage come from. Tim Forward, he could get on if he was young. He could run with anybody today. So could Shane Hit, Jeremiah Jones definitely could. Travis Bader. I mean, all these guys. They don't realize they race from teenagers all the way into mid to late thirties. These guys today don't do that. You know, so they carry the sport. These these legends did. And yeah, you're right. Tim Fowler should be around. And and uh, I mean, then you then you would roll into. You, Natalie, uh, Gust, you know, you would roll into the two timers, yeah. you know, and, and then obviously, uh, Weenan will have to wait five years to be retired before he can. You don't put someone in there that's still racing, it's not, it's not a Hall of Fame, then you know, he needs it you know, 10 years later. Let the other guys that paved the way for Chad Weenan, yep, you know. We paid away for what we was done did it for gosh for 20 plus years before he even started. <laughs> you know, so but guys, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons that a lot of different guys could be in there. Myself would be I do all the riding schools and I teach people and I'm the first quote unquote AMA pro champion. So that's kind of a little glitch. I know better than the other guys. And then I have one more races than the other guys, but that's one thing I do have over the next guy. And then you got John Italian, the Iron Man, the first one to ever win, you know, the the when it's all together, he won on the Honda in the 05. That was that's that's badass, you know. In 04, Doug Gus was a legend in, in was it 03 and 04. He was a legend winning on a Z400. <laughs> I mean, he beat all of our butts. We had the Yamaha's and the TRX's, he won it on a Z400, you know. So that's stuff that separates everybody apart, you know. I know Corey wasn't ever a champion, he was on uh Jansen digging deep here the other day, but he's a legend, you know. He raced all these cool quads. He won a bunch of pro am stuff, yep, you know, so, and, and but that's that doesn't that doesn't eliminate you because some of the titles and some of the people they've put in the Hall of Fame are pro am right. fighters. They're not pros. 
well, they run out of all the pros. <laughs> There's only so many dirt bike pros, so they got to find other cool people. Like I think White Brothers, wasn't Tom White inducted or something before he passed? I think he was. And so, you know, I mean, I get nobody talking to listen to his ATV program. He knows who Tom White is probably from White Brothers. But yeah, I saw Gary Denton set a post the other day about a few years before Tom had passed and just, you know, saying he, you know, he's bragging about him. You know, just Gary Denton knows a lot of guys and he's a really, really sharp guy, still living in Southern California. He's where the hotbed is. And he used to be the hotbed for racing, but he's still right there where all the guys and all the factory and all the support is. So he's well, still those guys. You know, we talk about class and, uh, you know, I've said, I, I think I told you this story and I've told this story on the show before. The first pro to introduce themselves to me and shake my hand was Gary Denton. <laughs> I'm a nobody green kid just working on. I think I was working on Kenneth Kenneth Delks and Don Turk's bikes at Mickey's. Oh, tell me a little bit. I just I wanted to I wanted to go to the races so bad, and Lauren told me, "Hey, this is what your job's going to be," and I'm freaking mud from head to toe, dirty, freaking working. I mean, you don't get dirty at Mickey's, and I'm filthy, you know, because <laughs> I'm under the bikes cleaning them and doing all this stuff. And Gary just come up and shook my hand and said, "Hey, I'm Gary Denton. You know, it's a pleasure to meet you." Yeah. And I'm like, you're Gary Denton, you're a god, and I'm nobody. And and you know, that stuck with me. I, yeah, yeah. Green kid like that. And and I always believe that it doesn't matter who it is, when you walk through the pits or when you're at this grocery store or you're somewhere and somebody reaches a handout to meet you or to talk to you, you have to take the time absolutely to give them, to give them their due. And and take a photo. I mean, I used to jump on Doug all the time. Hey, I don't care that you're tired. You just rode two hours. Get out here. These kids want your want your autograph and they want your photo. You know, and, <laughs> and jump out of the truck and do his thing. You have to because it makes an impression. I still have an impression for a top three wheeler at the time that when I was I was on the amateur just a few couple of years and I was at Royal Lands 1986 or seven. I went up to this rider. He was, I asked him a question about his sprockets and he was, he answered me, but just, and not a, be kind of a monotone, just kind of a, a rude remark. And I, I was expecting, you know, a nicer tone, just hot, you know, and I just didn't like the way he said it. And I'm like, that stuck with me. And I told my dad, if I'm ever in his shoes, I'll never do that. And, 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 and that's just, that's just the way you have to be. Because yeah, it does. And so I try to never, never, ever, ever do that. So in between motos is one thing. You know, I'm coming in. We got 40 minutes to get in there, get a shower, eat, get back about. That's one thing. Before the moto, you know, at least an hour before, and right after the moto is the main event, the second moto, you all say they're in the dark. You know, I heard people, you know, that you know, bitch about me or other riders. You know, that's our office. When, when that gate, right before that gate drops, we have a, a, a job to do from 30 minutes before the race till after the second moto. Second moto, checker flag waves. Trophy presentation, now it's time to sign, you know, and we have autographs signed. We'll sign at the dark. So there's a time and place to do it. I don't come up to a pro because, you know, on, of course, they don't let you on the start gate now, but on the starting gate, trying to focus when he's got a race. You know, it's it's, it's a tough time to do that because, it's, 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 and most people don't do that. I'm just saying that's a bad time to do it as a pro racer. You're trying to focus on what you're doing. And so, and you know, but I remember at the Mickey Thompson's, they let, you know, they, was it well, a pit party, whatever they call it? That was cool. There was time to do it all. There wasn't nobody in the paddock back back then. You had to wait till after the race. That was a perfect setup, time and place to do all that. Afterwards, they let everybody back in for free. That was cool. They had it figured out. Dan Shane, that, that series went away. 
Yeah, I love Mickey's because it was just, you got TV time, we got world coverage. I mean, you're talking about the, what, late 80s, early 90s, and they're still showing Mickey's in Europe. You know, I still got all the tapes. I don't know if you remember it when I won my first race. I was 21 years old, and the headlines in Dirt Wheels. Uh, matter of fact, I just picked up a Dirt Wheels the other day. From, I didn't know they made Dirt Wheels anymore. I'm going to get a new subscription from it. But it said, Hillbilly Double was first Mickey Thompson's <laughs> first time. <laughs> Hillbilly Double, they call me Hillbilly, you know? And so, so I went out of San Diego, and I went up the attic the other day. I don't know why I didn't have this already out. Because every time I do a school, or somebody comes over and sees me, I give them a tour. I show them the race shop, the gym, the theater room, slash trophy room, the big shop, and all the you know, cool stuff. And I go up there and I show them it's my first pro win. 60,000 spectators in Anaheim Morning. You know, we don't have that anymore. It was amazing. I was crying across the finish line, you know, and I found the helmet. And I didn't, you know, I knew it was upright. I just, somebody said, ain't that the helmet you want in? Only if you remember, back in the day, they, they do articles in Dirt Wheels and they'd have the top pros painted helmets. Guess whose helmet this is? Remember that? Oh, everybody had cool, you know, we don't have cool custom painted helmets anymore because most of the manufacturers make cool helmets now. They don't have to have a custom paint job. So right. that's why Lee got popular, Kohler got popular, all, you know, all these people. So mine was Bird of Prey. I don't know if you ever remember that or not, but I had a big old bird on the back and had Bird of Prey. And I set that helmet just last week up about my trophy. I still have all this stuff. <laughs> and I saw a picture of my dad. We went to my dad yesterday to watch church. And we looked through pictures and I found a bunch of old pictures of me and all Gary Denton and Gus and all these older guys, you know, Don Turk and Barry McCarty. And I saw a picture of me in the pro class. I don't know what place I was in, probably sixth or seventh place, you know, with it with competitive. And I looked at most all the pros except for Gary Denton. And I think Mark Earhart might have been in there. A few guys had, you know, cool ARs and shocks and all this cool stuff. And me and Gus and I think a lot of us, there's half the field, maybe three quarters of it. I had stock AR and stock shots, and it was just crazy to see us doing that on these stock, pretty much stock machines, you know. And I think that's why they kicked our butt for, <laughs> for three or four years. You know, they had all, they had to figure it out. So that was well, good I think stuff. What, what the first shock that anybody used was an Olean's. Yeah, remember that big body? I remember Shane Hinn had one. I borrowed one for a few races. I, I mean, that sucker was had to be twenty-two inches long and as big as a back shot. Yeah, and that's when Pro Tracks front end. Remember that? Yep, uh, we Gary had. Didn't, he would, didn't come to races like 25 degrees of camera, that thing, which, you know, in some tracks, it worked good. But, man, there's a selling point. He pulled a whole shot of windows races, and it sold like hotcakes, all those legger front ends. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, and now you look at everything, and nobody runs that style setup. And, and I tell them, you know, everybody, how do you set it up? Well, it depends on the track. Running straight up and down like a lot of these guys do now ain't the best way. I'm just telling you, it's not. If you got a berm on the track, you need some camera. If it's real tacky, that tire's going to flex and roll over. When it rolls over, you better have it standing straight up. Who cares if it's like this going down straight away? You don't do nothing down straight away. Have a, bit, a little bit of camera. You don't go like this. More. I mean, Gary was a little bit of exaggeration, but you need a little bit of camera in there, a little bit. You know, and it depends on the track, of course. Right. And they need to know how to adjust that. Yeah, I, I, I run on my desert stuff. I run it pretty much straight up and down. But on my off-road stuff, I'll give it a quarter inch. Yeah, well, Dedrick going straight for the most part. And it's not a high performance race, it's a finish. And you got to run good, but you got to finish, right? So, yeah. most well, people, they're turning into, the, dude, they're turning into sprint races. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And some of those bikes are just, I remember seeing Dean Dun Sundahl's on some interview here the other day, Banshee, 21 inches of travel or something crazy, you know? God, I love to ride that thing. 
I, I, you know what? I've seen other people ride his concept and have no success. That yeah. guy can still go out there and run with the pros, and he's in his sixties. Yeah, ain't that crazy? Oh, it's nutty. But well, he don't even have the arm. He got like drop links or something, like a rear end on a truck or something on his front end. Yeah. You look at his. Yeah, it's it's wild how he's got it set up. It's and cool it, though. And it, dan- and it dances across the whoops. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan, but dude, I am a fan because I, wow. It, and and yeah. he's the only guy that can make it work like that. Right. Right. Um, so what do you think about the, uh, the new schedule? You see the new motocross uh, schedule out for next year? I have not. I haven't oh. looked at it. It's a similar schedule. And here's what irritates me about it's real similar to last year, but what irritates me about it is they don't schedule it for the racers. They schedule it for whatever fits in the promoter's you know, their schedule. So you got Daytona, which is good to the quadra there. I get that. But then you got like three or four weeks, a month off, I think. That sucks as a pro racer. Yeah, it's pretty much a month off. So the pro racers, they got to start training, you know, at least January 1st. It takes you six, eight weeks to get in any kind of shape. If you don't win the race, you better start training for that. So let's say they start January 1. Well, they don't end. Well, thank God they should have do it already. But last year they ended September. That's freaking uh, six, seven, eight, nine months of training. And then they have only a couple months off. They ain't that much money in doing it that long. So they got a month off and then they've got uh, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. Here's another thing I don't like. They've got three weeks off in July. Why do we got three weeks off? That's when all kids are out of school. That doesn't make that's any sense. That's when you racing. That's, that's when you racing. Got, usually the Red Lands, which is the final, that's fine. You can take four in racing, take them out of school. But why are these first few so early? When they could put them start in March, okay, they only got six, eight weeks. Maybe they got to fight, fight about school, not three, four months. They got three weeks off in July. That's insane. It's terrible about, for the families. I mean, it's, you what know. about weather? I mean. The weather? Yeah. Yeah, because well, look at this. In, the, in the beginning, okay. January, February, March, you're going to fight weather. The train. So now you got to go down south. You got to be out of school to go train. That's. And the pros, of course, most of the pros are going to do it. Not all the pros have money. You know, half of them probably have sponsors. They may be able to do it, but not all of them. So it's not a fair advantage, you know. So, and even the amateurs, look, April, they race two or three races. Georgia is still kind of cool in April, but where are they going to train at? Most of the riders in Ohio, Pennsylvania, you know, the northern area, there's some down south, but where are they going to train at? So most of these guys are going to go to the first race, never have started a bike in four or five months. So they should start in May. I don't know why. And in May, they're in Indiana. I remember... I don't know if you remember this. It was in May, Mount Morris, Pennsylvania. 19, Excuse me. I want to say 88 or 89. Okay. It snowed at Mount Morris. I, I remember um I remember the 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 race. There's also a big three-wheeler race, or um, yeah, it might have been 88, 89. And the guy that won was on a utility quad. Yeah, and one of the guys had a speedometer on his machine, and in one lap, he spun so much, he went 14 miles, and a mile, and the track's only a mile and a half long. So, and I remember Bob Sloan, the cross-country guy, he got second or third in that race because it was so muddy. He, he just kicked everybody's butt in the mud. So, but the same thing, and they're racing up in that area in May. Don't you remember that story? I mean, come on. So, anyway, the, the schedule is kind of, you know, I don't know if the rest of the series, you guys' schedule or the flat track schedule come out, but I don't think they but, care. I really don't think they care. I don't think so either. Because they, they, they schedule the races, you do destroy equipment, and it's not on them. They made their money. 
That's another thing that bothers me. Why can't we, instead of racing, like we've argued a few times. Remember, I got kicked out, gosh, in the 16, where it was. You remember when I came out, right? I think we told you a story. When I came out and raced the uh, ITP quad cross back in the middle of summer, quad national was going on. I came out of nowhere to race. That's because I got kicked out of the international. They incited me for, or banned me for inciting a boycott. Like, what are you talking about? All those pros, it was raining and snowing. It was terrible at Danville, Virginia. We said, dude, we ain't racing. This, you can't. The referee, Harv, couldn't even get around the track, couldn't even get to the starting line on his four-wheel drive. He got stuck. So how are we supposed to race? We're supposed to race at whatever it was, one and three. No, we don't have ain't nobody here. Who's going to come watch this mud fest? So he, we finally bitched enough where we changed it to like three, four hours later, and they kept them work the track. The track wasn't too bad. But why don't they do that all the time? Why don't we adjust the times? Or I'm sure 90% of people there, okay, most people got to work on Monday, but instead of racing Sunday when it's a quagmire, just stay to Monday and you don't have to blow up all these motors. You ain't gonna make enough money one day to rebuild a whole motor and you know all the engine parts. And why don't we have the ability to adjust the time and date? Well, in every other in every other form of racing, they have a they have a a, a racer question. Hey, yeah. is it safe? Do you guys do you guys want to do this? You know, is it okay? Um, and and all of them are yay or nay. Yeah. Well, it's also not a matter of necessarily safety, which is number should be number one thing, but it's about, especially in the quads, we, we're not like a dirt bike. We don't just wheel it through this mud. All this mud splashes on top of us, on top of our, our controls and machines, and inside our airboxes. We have four wheels making a mess, right? And we get stuck. We're only seven inches off the ground. So it's going to, you know, we will, every time we, we go to a mud race, that bike's done. We yep. take it all the way apart. Put all the way back together, new parts. That's our practice bike. Because they just you can't get all that stuff out. Engine shot, bearings and swing arm shot, sprocket shot, carrier shot. You know, just the spline brooches on the axles shot. They're all just, you know, it's just a mess. They don't realize how much money it costs. And I got everything for free, but how much headache it was. You take a, a 15th place pro rider or a pro M rider, then gets nothing free. He's probably done for the year. And now the next race, I remember in gosh, was it old? One year, I came in as old three, four, five, somewhere in there. It rained, it rained about 75, 80 percent of racing. And the next year, we were getting, I think it was probably 700 racers. The next year, it was 500 racers. People couldn't afford it. They're out. And so it finally picked back up, I think, on 789 to get 1,000 riders back in the early ends game. But people just can't afford to keep putting money, good money after bad when it's a mud race. I hate when they do that. And that's and that's where the, that's on the promoters to help. You know, yeah. can't you pick up the almanac and look and see what the weekend's going to be like? Right. I mean, they use it to farm, right? Yep. So why not? Can you? Why can't you use it to to plan well, races? Like they don't care. I think the whole thing is they most of the promoters race year round or something. They don't just do one or two races, and so they'll look and say, "Okay, here's my weekend, and I've got two regionals after that, and two local races this weekend. It's the only weekend I can fix it, take it or leave it." So they take it because they want the money. Right. Right. And they should. I know it's political, and everybody wants their hand out, but why don't we go to different tracks? Why don't they make the tracks? build back up and make them a certain you know criteria where it's a good track that leads me to another question and and we're actually over time but why are we not promoting the races better so that we get the spectators so that we can increase the payouts to these people that do all the racing that put on the show What's the deal? Why are the radio stations not involved? Why are we not having more promotions? I mean, I did a press conference for the first one that I think I've ever seen in ATV racing 
at the works round at Glen Helen. We're going to do another one in Prim, Nevada on the last round of the World Off-Road Championship Series. Um, Chad Weenan's asked me to come out to one next year. If I can, if I can do it, I'm going to. Uh, but there again, I put this podcast on out of my own pocket. I have a couple sponsors, GPR and GBC Tires, uh, Amber and Take Two Custom Tees. These people help us so that we can produce this stuff for everybody. And yet it's still not enough money to make me mobile. Right. You know, well, I want to be mobile and I want to promote, but I need help. And I don't think anybody gets it. No, they don't. And here's the thing. Why is our TV coverage slipping on? Why can't we do, with the technology today, everybody's got a cell phone. Why can't we go Facebook Live or podcast and do something? You got ATV Talk. You got Jansen. You got uh, Quad Radio Active Track so you can listen to it. Why can't we? We're going to need 10 cameras. Why can't we do Facebook? We're trying, Joe. We're trying. All the technology out there now. I don't see why we can't do it. I understand a big TV, like Supercross and all that, but it don't have to be first-class imaging. It would be second-class, maybe. But so people watch. I sit there and watch it all the time, and it would really promote it. I'm trying, Joe. I just – I'm limited on funds, and yeah. and that's what most people don't realize is – The promoters should face that. Get a, get a dozen people together. Let's Facebook Live. Why can't they do that? I agree. You know, you have girls. a company like us <laughs> – Bring a company like us in and say, hey, this is what we need help with. This is what we're going to do. This is what it's going to cost. Let's rock and roll. Let's do it. And and that's ultimately where we're going um, with ATV Talk is we don't ever want to get away from the podcast and talking to the racers and and talking to the people involved. But we ultimately want to get into showing the races and showing other events, going to, you know, some of the mud bog stuff, because I think that stuff's hilarious. And, and just showing ATVs in their element everywhere across the country, maybe in other countries, and bring ATV, the sport of ATV riding back. Yeah. Well, you gotta go there. We gotta get you gotta get me invited and let me bring my group out and do some aviation stuff. And you know, I was supposed to be racing your Baja 500 1000 this year. You didn't get you didn't get to your bike yet. <laughs> Dude, it's all about funding and, and uh I have the bike. I just don't have the funding to put it all really, in there, put it all together. You know, I mean logistics to run a Baja 1000. Huh? People don't realize the time and money and logistics it takes. To run the Baja 1000. So to give us a shot to win, no, not even, not even close. It's, it's a very, very expensive endeavor, even for a race and an ATV. You're just, oh, you're just racing an ATV. It can't be that big of a <laughs> We put just as much input into it as the trucks do. Yep. And it's twice as dangerous. Oh yeah, dude, I've done it a few times. I know exactly. I get it. Hey, so if you ever do get another program, at least invite me to go pre-run with. I'd love to just go hang out and run. It's, it's just fun time down there. Dude, I am trying to get funding to bring you and a couple other guys out. I may not when we we may may not race in Mexico, but we may race in Nevada. Okay, that's even better because it's safer. And one more thing we need to do: we need to go to Enduro del Verano down in Argentina. That's one of the biggest single races I've been to. Like it's like Pontevedra. It's a huge race, Pontevedra is, and this one's huge. I mean, I think Wing is the only American one. I got second one time, and Doug Gus went there with me one time. It's just a, it's a, it's a show. They, they do it first class. I mean, there's a hundred thousand people there. There's four, five hundred racers that take off at one time. 
we should try to get down there. There's, I think it's February when it is. Brother, I'm all game to go and cover everything. I just have to, and I, I hate to say it. I mean, because I, I hate to, to bring up money, but unfortunately, money is what makes the world go round. Well, I've been invited to come down and do a big school down there for a few weeks at a time, train this one team, the guy from our team, and his dad, whole family came up here to race the Red Lens, and they came to my school for, gosh, two weeks I trained in private lessons. So, and they're well off. They, the lad owns a jet and two helicopters, and, you know, he's, he's a real successful man. So he wants me to come down there and do several weeks with him down there. And so I've mentioned people like yourself coming down there with him. He's all for it. But this was two months ago, right? So we're still in communication. So that would be something like you'd go down for at least a week. I don't know if you're in a position to do that, but you can't go down for a day. It's not our flight. You know, it's, it, Understood. You Understood. You know, so you know how it goes. So it, let's entertain something like that because that would be it. Bring exposure for you guys. It bring exposure for our racing, my schools, and it'd be really cool to be down there covering those guys. It's a, it's a, it's a hat. So, well, let's let's keep in touch and let's make this happen. And everybody that's listening to the podcast, we need your support. So please be in touch with ATV Talk. Get in touch with Joe Bird Riding Schools. Let's make this happen. Let's get it growing. And uh, Joe, I want to thank you again for an amazing show and, and spending time with ATV Talk. Um, we're going to probably do this again and again and again. So you know the invitations there. And uh, thank you very much for your time today. And you know, everybody that knows Gary Denny either call, text, Facebook, Instagram, congratulations. That's one badass feat that he accomplished. And it's in AMA messages. You know, yourself, Lenny, you need to put a link on there. Who's the next guy? You know, let's get far in there. Let's whoever the next guy is. Let's let's keep pushing AMA to do this because this is an honor. This is something that'll be in the AMA Hall of Fame for the rest of our life. And their kids can kids can go see it. You know, I've got a, a folder over in the Honda Museum in Japan right now. The only American ever have a race folder over there. And I ain't got to go see it yet. <laughs> you know, so that's right. something that'll always be there. And I want to go see it. Say this Hall of Fame. It, people don't realize how cool this is, how important this is for the ATV industry. And so, Lenny, before we go, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out. Who's gonna win the 2022 ATVA Motocross Pro Championship? <laughs> uh, Joel Hetrick. Okay. Um, he's training. He's making some adjustments to his program. Um, I think he's getting his mind right. Um, Chad, I know I've, you and I have had some amazing conversations and I think the world of Chad being eight time champion. Um, but I believe that Chad has struck a nerve and became the thorn that Joel is going to break off and he's going to, uh, make his dominance known. Do you think, you know, when I was, Winning and how it was when I used to have a picture of him on my dartboard. I throw darts at him, you know. <laughs> so, you think there's a picture of Chad Weena somewhere in North Carolina right now where Hedrick's <laughs> at, Matt? <laughs> uh, no, I think I think there's nothing to do with Chad Weenan anywhere in his repertoire because he doesn't want to see his see it at all. Um, but inside his mind, that that picture is burning. And well, I, I remember all the Rocky movies, all those Rocky movies when they would like steam and him and you know all yeah. that stuff. 
now the tiger you know the last few years i ever had honda deals they wouldn't let me be on social media for that reason not at all wouldn't let me on social media you focus on riding training it's like don't see what nobody's saying bad about you or maybe even good about you you focus on a job at hand that could ride jet skis couldn't skydive could ride motorcycles ride train eat and sleep all you can do and so nowadays social media is part of how you make money so it's a little different now but so the same concept what you're just talking about there this is interesting i i believe that uh I believe that the youth will start making a change. And, and I think that he is making changes in his program. I don't know for certain. I haven't had an in-depth conversation with him. I got to meet him at um, Glen Helen and speak with him for a minute. And uh, he's supposed to come on the show here in a week or so. Uh, but I just feel from what I got from him, the fire burning inside of him is out of control. And he... Yeah. It should be. He should have two, three other champions by now. Last thing, who's getting third? We know who's getting second or third, first and second. Um, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you two. Oh, it's, uh, it's either Lindquist or Restrelli. You think so? Yep. Um, Lindquist is Lindquist is young and aggressive. Uh, the problem is, is the sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. It gets everybody. Um, Restrelli, after I spoke to him, has. Uh, uh, lit a fire in his world and I like and he is seems to have changed something in his program uh that program is a good program and they're directing him and and, and getting him straightened out um the other guys that are racing uh yeah Ford they, need, they need to dedicate themselves a little bit more and focus they're uh still a little young um and I'm not saying that Max is, is, isn't young too, but Max is a much more mature young guy. Mm. Talk to Max. He's old. He's an old guy. <laughs> you know? And, 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 I, and you, that's not a knock. That's a good thing. I mean, when we were young, we used to think, oh, that guy's boring. No, this guy's focused. He has understanding of what he wants to do. He's, he, he knows where he needs to be. And he's got a great mentor in Chad Weenan. You know? That's that's where I that's where I would see it going. And Lenny, I appreciate you having me on the show. It's been always a blessed, fun time. It's always why uh, you got why you got to put me on the spot of my own show. And that's what I do. You know, that's why you <laughs> had me on these shows. <laughs> hey, I saw I know seeing you as picture, brother. We were at some race, guy, fifteen years ago. I was like, man, who's that good looking dude? Oh, that's Lenny. What the hell? <laughs> the good picture you man. I got to send that sucker to you. You gonna be like, oh man, it's such a known. <laughs> I got pictures of me too, man. I'm like. Who's that guy? Oh crap! It's me, <laughs> dude. I, I'm sitting here looking at this, and I'm all gray and and silver, and you know, your hair is receding a little, and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> what happened here? Right. Hey, I, you were gonna tell me you were gonna you were gonna start training, uh, for the schools and getting better shape. Has that started? I, it has started. Actually, you'd be surprised. I've lost 33 pounds since our last podcast. All right. You looked a little thinner, but it's kind of hard to tell in the monkey suit. I'm squishing this monkey suit, so I got to get out of this thing. But yeah, I have lost because I got I, I got too damn fat. Everybody laughed at me and they all called, you know, they called, they don't call girls that, but all my friends, racers, you fat ass, what's wrong with you? I'm like, and I was, I mean, gain weight. I mean, but it all it happens to everybody. But yeah, I've, I've, I've been on the bandwagon. And um, trying to trying to get back down. I mean, I got 15 more pounds to go where I want to be. And then I'm just, I couldn't even fit my riding gear. <laughs> I had these riding schools and jogging pants. <laughs> uh, and I called, said, hey, 
hey, I need some riding pants in, in Jersey. Well, first of all, we don't make that size. And second of all, we're out of stock because of the COVID mask. I'm like, you guys. <laughs> and who are you? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. That's funny. All right, brother. We're going to call it a night. Thank you so much. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.